This episode was originally recorded in early 2022. You are listening to Pharmacy IT and Me, your informatics pharmacist podcast. Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of the Pharmacy IT Me podcast. Uh, I'm your host, Tony Dow, and as with every episode, we start this one saying that the intent audience for this episode is everyone. And on today's episode, I'm very excited to have on our guest, uh, Dr. Mark Wilner, who is a lead informatics specialist. Thank you so much for being on the podcast today. How are you doing? I'm very good, Tony. Thank you for the invite. I'm very excited to record this with you today. Awesome. I'm really excited to learn more about what you do today, actually. So, you know, just before we get started, can you tell the listeners a little bit more about yourself? Yeah, certainly. So as you mentioned, my name is Mark Wilner. I am a lead pharmacy informatics specialist at Cleveland Clinic. I am unofficially focusing on the inpatient side. I have a, a counterpart lead sp- informatics specialist that focuses on ambulatory workflows, but my, my day-to-day is in the area of, of inpatient. I focus my work duties in the area of clinical decision support. So I am focusing on alert, build and maintenance, pharmacist clinical monitoring tools, and then some of the more clinical documentation pieces that our clinical pharmacists use, like note development, things like that. I am also the RPD of the PGY2 Pharmacy Informatics Residency at Cleveland Clinic. This will be my fifth year um, in recruiting residents. And then I've been in my current role for about seven years now. So did you decide on getting into pharmacy informatics, like, you know, during your school years or um, did you kind of decide on that later? Yeah, so that's a great question. When I was an intern at the Cleveland Clinic, I had some exposure to automation and informatics for about a couple of weeks. At that point, though, it was mainly when the site was still implementing the electronic medical record. So there really wasn't this robust team built yet. It was still a very small team. There was about four pharmacists and and two analysts on the team there. And a lot of the work that we did was more, again, just bringing up the electronic medical record for the pharmacy department. We didn't have things like an inpatient team, an ambulatory team, decision support, those sorts of things. It was sort of like everyone did everything. And I got some exposure to that when I was an intern. It was pretty interesting when I did that. However, when I went into residency during my PGY one year, I did get some exposure to the clinical side. Admittedly, um, I I did you know have an interest in that for a period of time. Um, however, when I was applying for PGY two programs, I did see that the Cleveland Clinic was starting an informatics residency in the PGY two year, and that um, sort of re sparked my interest in it. Um, I reached out to at the time uh, Jeff Chalmers, who was the RPD for the program, got some more information about that. And um, I, I applied to the program and fortunately matched there. When I, after I matched, my PGY1 site was enough to allow me some informatics experiences so I could get more of an idea of, of building out drug files, using the electronic medical record. Granted, it was a different system than what Cleveland Clinic was using, but I got some exposure there. Uh, my interest in informatics probably stemmed from basically how I think on a day-to-day. When I was growing up, I really had a lot of interest in, in the engineering type fields. However, I did want to do something in healthcare and trying to blend those two types of mindsets, both the healthcare and the creative builder type mindset. was challenging to come around and, and pharmacy informatics really um, is sort of like the perfect blending of those two things. It allows me to, to be creative, do build, um, make optimizations, and then also use clinical images as well. 
Awesome. Yeah, no, I, I definitely agree with that. You, you did mention about, you know, your PGY1 experience and how they were able to kind of customize, gave you a little bit more um, informatics focused things. Just before I ask another question, that was it a PGY1? Was it focused like in acute care or ambulatory? Was there just a general focus? It was it was focused in acute care. It, the PGY1 site was Maimonides Medical Center in Brooklyn, New York, and they they actually had a pretty big emphasis in emergency medicine. It was pretty interesting. The actual staffing that the PGY-1 residents did was serving as a clinical pharmacist in the ED. So you got a lot of, you got a lot of clinical exposure to like really acutely ill patients. Um, And you were like the sole pharmacist responsible for running a satellite pharmacy out of the emergency department. So that was a really unique experience in in that regards, but there was also an acute focus. So you you did have your, your normal required inpatient rotations, management, leadership, drug info, those sorts of things. And some of the informatics experiences that I had there really involved, you know, configuring some ED specific drug files, building out dosing algorithms for things such as aminoglycosides within the E department. I see. I see. So, you know, a lot of the programs out there for pharmacy informatics residencies are PGY2 programs. So in your experience, just not talking about like your specific informatics in your PGY1, but having a general PGY1 residency, like why do you think it's so important for someone to have that kind of general PGY1 training before they get into a more specialized informatics PGY2? Yeah, that's a great question. So one of my, so Jeff Chalmers, one of my mentors, he was my RPD for my PGY2 informatics residency always says, you know, to be a good informaticist, you have to be a good clinical pharmacist first. And I agree with that. You, you really need to have that, that really solid clinical background to be able to make appropriate changes to medication records, know how, you know, drug interaction monographs should read and things like that. And then in addition to that, the, the PGY1 experience also gives you the, the operational side so that you know how an inpatient pharmacy operates, you know, through either through staffing or through operations or administrative rotations during the PGY-1. And, and I've, you know, I've said to other students that have come through rotations with us, you know, informatics really serves as this, as this merge point of clinical and operational, like you have to have a good solid knowledge of both to be able to adequately and proficiently create things in HR. So, you know, like one of the challenges from moving from one institution to another, if you're an informatics pharmacist is that, you know, sometimes the EHR can be different and there might be a new learning curve. So you didn't mention that in your PGY-1, it's a different EHR system, but then you were able to get some of these more like informatics focused kind of experiences. And I guess my question is moving to a PGY-2 at a different institution that uses a different EHR, how were you still able to use those experiences to kind of help inform you or give you a head start? even though it is a different EHR. So I tell all of the residents and resident applicants this is that a PGY2 informatics residency is meant to be an informatics residency and not like an Epic residency or a Meditech residency. The translation between EHRs, I think, comes more easily and really is more of like an on-the-job learning than things that are more conceptual. So really with something like an informatics residency, we really emphasize, like not only do we emphasize the, the technical aspects of of the electronic medical record because that's good to know and have that really like that didactic knowledge base of how the the technical side works but really what we what we hone in on is those soft skills making sure that you know how to conduct proper change management principles project manage how to sell a new feature in the electronic medical record and those 
skills are all translatable and EHR agnostic. So that's really what we what we focus on and allow residents who might come from a PGY1 site that with a different EHR to our site that has you know Epic um, to to be able to succeed. I see. Yeah. So, so it does help that it's, you know, concepts that are being applied. Like you said, like these residencies are, are based on conceptual. And I, I did want to just like bring that up to focus for people who, who may not know, because I think one of the misconceptions is that when you get trained in a certain EHR, then you're kind of stuck there to a degree. There's some truth to it, but I, I think like, I, I guess like, what are your thoughts to, about that? Yeah. That's, that's a great question. So, you know, we've had, we've had residents come in that were on Epic and then they're, they're starting with Epic or they're on a different EHR and they come to Epic and, and they've all succeeded. Again, it's really that technical specification knowledge. Really, I view that as more of an on the job learning. That'd be, that'd be no different than really switching roles from like two different institutions. Like you, there's, there's a ton of information you still need to know and learn on the job and and an employer will be, if you, if you come from another EHR into a new role, I mean, an employer like would hope give you some time to become accustomed to that. Now, in terms of mastering the technical specifications of an EHR and the different nuances of, of them, you know, that will come with time. But again, it's really those, it's the things that can't really be taught and you need to have the experience and again, those soft skills as well. Awesome. So now let's just switch a little bit to, I guess, your role and when you started over at Cleveland Clinic in, and then also what you do now. So when you started at the Cleveland Clinic, what were your like initial kind of responsibilities? So I actually started my post-residency role in, in actually the same position in terms of day-to-day operating and managing the clinical decision support aspects of the, of the electronic health record. I was actually very fortunate that there was some position shifting just prior to me starting that allowed me to get the, the clinical decision support role. That's really what my interests were when it, during residency. And, and again, based on how the position shifted around, I was fortunate enough to be assigned that role. When I started, one of the big projects that was assigned to me was development of a clinical monitoring dashboard. For those of you listening that are Epic savvy, it would be a scoring system, basically a list that would allow pharmacists to pull up their roster of patients and uh, the HR would, the HR would run through the patients and then find any sort of clinical intervention opportunities, finding the needle in a haystack with, with things that might need to be, you know, adjusted on a patient or even helping the pharmacist prioritize their work. Like again, pulling up your patients and saying like, okay, what do I need to do for the day? What patient education is needed? What dosing consults do I need to look at? Um, what sort of acuity is going on with the patients? So that was one of the, that was one of the first big projects assigned to me. Um, and I've, for, for the past seven years, I've really been responsible for managing that. We actually had a, a total overhaul of how it functions in 2020, and we redefined the core services that were being flagged by that patient list. And we're continuing to optimize it pretty much every, every year as, as we've moved forward. Oh, that's really cool. So what was it called again? Is the, is it a clinical dashboard? Yeah. So our, our sort of internally branded name, because most sites will have their own little like name that they give it. Uh, we, ours is called PPS. So pharmacy patient scoring, that's what we call it internally. So again, pull up your roster patients. It'll show you things that you need to look at on your patients, such as renal dosing opportunities, IVPO conversion, patient education that's needed. I also have some transitions of care 
related information on there. So if the patient's going to be discharged and the pharmacist needs to conduct a discharge medication reconciliation or assist with that, the patient gets flagged. And then our, our newest addition, which went in about six months ago, was an anticoagulation monitoring system, which will pull in things such as elevated INR, patients that are on dialysis with like a DOAC, some sort of those, you know, classic ideas of what you want to flag patients on anticoagulant for. I see. So, you know, in the initial development of that, like, was there, was it you that would have to figure out who would be involved in terms of like validating the processes and operations? Or was that kind of already been been informed to you that these are the people that are going to be working with it? Like, I guess, like, how involved were you with like that, that side of it? So that's a, that's a great question. There was someone who was identified as the person for rounding up everyone from the individual sites in our health system and identifying someone that was sort of like a super user or again, a clinical person. I was sort of a co-chair with that in terms of handling the, the technical side and the build. So really what my role, what, what that initially was, you know, they would come up with ideas like, Hey, let's look at this and how do we do it technically? And I would figure out how we can make that happen in terms of, you know, clinical content. Uh, there is with, with these types of monitoring systems, there isn't really like this perfect one that's out there. A lot of it's crowdsourced and based on expert opinion. And so basically the clinical pharmacists would just come up with ideas of like, Hey, what should we be adding in here? And we would add it. So again, that was the initial one. When, when we initially went live with it, like it was standardized across the system and it was like, sort of like our version one. And we were like, what is the bare minimum that we were expecting a pharmacist to look at like on specific patients of that? And that's how we came up with um, the few things that I just listed off, such as renal dosing. So, you know, like over time, like you said, it does get updated and does get maintained. So. Uh, so how does that kind of um, get decided on like those new feature requests? Like if there's, is there like a, you know, like a group that decides or do these kind of come in at different locations? And then, you know, if, if there's also different practices, slightly different practices, different like locations and practices, they're requesting different features. Like how do you kind of manage all of those like different requests? So we do have an enterprise wide clinical integration committee. That's, that's the name of it. So it's basically one clinical representative from each site in our health system that sits on the committee and we vet any new requests through that group first to determine if there's one clinical utility, if it's feasible to add to pharmacist workload and and if there's, it should be like a higher priority than, than other like requests and initiatives. Uh, so that we, that's how we manage like one-off requests. Like let's say someone comes up with a new idea for like a rule that goes into the anticoagulation system. In terms of like a totally new concept with like a group of interventions that we would want to intervene. Like, let's say like right now it's not expected that pharmacists look at diabetes related interventions, but let's say someone wanted that and they came up with this laundry list of, of different intervention opportunities that would be vetted more on the leadership level to determine if that would align with, again, those core services that we are, we're expecting pharmacists to, to manage on a day-to-day -day basis. So it really depends on the, the extent of the request. So basically if we're adding something to something that if we're adding something new, that's minor, that exists to something already, we will take it to that that integration committee. But then if it's like a very large, larger concept that gets added, that would really potentially change the workload or, or how pharmacists are doing their, their day-to-day -day job, we would, that would, that would be addressed more. I see. Yeah. Yeah. That kind of makes sense. And then, you know, like getting into your, your role today, I think you mentioned earlier that 
there was some shifting of responsibilities and you are now doing more CDS focused type of roles. Is that right? Yeah, that's correct. So when, when I, when I started the, there was a manager position that opened up, um, on the informatics team and the person who was in the CDS role moved into the manager position, which allowed me to be placed in the CDS position right out of residency. And it was, it was a lot of, it was very, very good timing um, for that. Cause I was again, looking for positions post residency. I think it's ideal at times if, if, you know, the geography allows for for residents to at least consider being taking a position where they train, but if it's, if it's a good fit. So the timing of it was actually pretty perfect. So like in, in the role of like a CDS, uh, informatics pharmacist, like what, what kind of things did you do? Cause you know, like in CDS, it's such a, such a broad term. There's like active passive, you know? Yeah. And all the order sets. So what did you get to do in that role? So it, it is, it's a very diverse role in my particular responsibilities and what, what my squad manages within the EHR. So we will manage a lot of alert changes. We will address either new custom alerts that are requested or management and tweaking of the sort of third party vendor canned medication warnings that are out there, such as like your dose warnings, your drug interactions. We'll, we'll, we'll manage those a little bit along with the building the custom alerts. So that's, that's more of your active decision support type features that we, we manage in the EHR that does take up a good amount of time in terms of like vetting and building out custom alert requests. And then that clinical monitoring piece is another aspect. So we do build a lot of patient lists patient list columns, those scoring systems that I mentioned out there to, to have clinical pharmacists use. And then also the clinical documentation tools that go along with it. If there's any sort of requests for new pharmacist notes, um, we, we manage that. I see. And it's just the same kind of things you're still doing today. So in this past year or past few years now, of course, there's been the COVID-19 pandemic and, um, I guess, like, was there any one kind of like standout CDS tool that you were able to build or leverage to kind of help with how the operations have changed for pharmacists during COVID-19? So we actually have a member of our team who's dedicated to antimicrobial stewardship. So when it came to any sort of COVID-related changes, whether that be any new therapeutics that come to market or even vaccine build, we've actually had a dedicated person managing that. However, when the pandemic first started and there was a lot of really reactive build in place in terms of either like expanding nursing units, changing operations around, having new therapeutics again just become in vogue with with use in the general population. We did have to react a lot to that. Some that does stand out is the the hydroxychloroquine recommendations that came in or were lack thereof, the, the, the sort of the controversy behind that. There was a lot of requests immediately to start building alerts for prescribers if they were to order hydroxychloroquine in these patients. We did have to build a good amount of custom alerting pertaining to that for patients that were, were diagnosed with COVID-19 or came, came by with COVID-19 results. And then actually Ohio, there was, there was a little bit of controversy that came through the Ohio Board of Pharmacy at the time where they indicated that hydroxychloroquine was not allowed to be used for COVID-19. And there was some back and forth between the Ohio Board of Pharmacy and medical board in terms of that was like permissible to rule or not. Actually, I, I believe our governor needed to step into that and say like that was kind of overstepping. So we had to backtrack on some of the things that we put in into, into electronic medical record just based on, you know, sort of jockeying between what the Board of Pharmacy was requiring. You know, really what we want to do with those sorts of things is make sure, one, make sure our patients are safe with with, make, with things that are getting prescribed to them. 
then also make sure that, you know, our prescribers are at least notified of the most up-to-date board of pharmacy regulations and make sure that they're succeeding to adhering. To. Yeah, I could definitely relate to how fast those those reactive requests came in. Yes, they, 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 they've slowed down a little bit, fortunately, re- recently, but yeah, there was a period of time where it's just like every, like something. Yeah. Moving right along to the next question I wanted to ask is about, you know, just for anyone out there who's interested in pharmacy informatics, they may be students right now, still going to school, and then they see this as an interest, or maybe there are pharmacists currently working in the inpatient, outpatient side, wherever it is, and they wanted to get into informatics. Do you have any particular advice you want to give them? Yes, I, I tell a lot of, so, so a lot of candidates will ask, like, you know, what's a good quality of, of a pharmacy informatics resident, and what, what do you look for? So I, I, I tell them that you, you need to be open to change because you're in the business of making change. So really your, your day is never going to be the same in terms of like your schedule. And you're, you're always going to be working on something new and trying to foster things that are, that are always being better. And you're trying to strive to, to be better and make things better in terms of, you know, what, what can I, how can I tell people to get more involved with, with this practice is, you know, just get involved at your site. If you're, if you're, at a, if you're currently at a hospital that has an informatics team, you know, ask how you can be involved to show your interest in that regards. If you're in a PGY one program or starting a PGY one program, look for programs that might offer an informatics elective and, or if not, you know, how do you have your large research project for the year being, be involved with informatics? Really it's, it's showing that, that interest because, because honestly, those, the candidates that come, the applications for candidates that come across my desk now, it's like, you know, in terms of the experience that they have, it's not even, it's light years different than what, what I was exposed to when I was applying for PGY2. A lot of people have informatics rotations, they're involved in informatics projects. Is the, the sort of baseline expectations for candidates now have, has sort of changed and really we want, we want to see that involvement ahead of time if you're looking for like a PGY2. I see. Thanks for sharing that advice. If people wanted to learn more like about your, the PGY2 program at, at your site or if they wanted to reach out to you, maybe specifically about your career, like what's the best way they can reach out to you? Yeah. So my, my contact information is actually on the ASHP, the ASHP residency catalog. So if someone were to go, you can actually just Google search the you know, ASHP residency directory. And then from there, look for informatics residencies. If you go to the one for Cleveland clinic, my contact information. So I'm always, I'm always open to, to responding to emails with someone that has questions or would like more. Awesome. Thanks for uh, providing that, and I'll, I'll be putting I'll be putting a link to uh, the ASHP uh, catalog so that they can reach out to you if they have any questions. Um, but to be respectful of your time, thank you so much again for being on the podcast today, Tony. Thank you for this opportunity. This is this is very exciting to record with you today. I hope that uh, for those of you listening, I was able to provide some more insight on the profession and how to get involved with the practice of pharmacy informatics. <laughs> All right. If you like our show, please share with your friends or you can help us out by writing a review on Apple Podcasts or any of your other favorite podcasting services. You can also check us out on social media on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, or LinkedIn. And you can also reach out to me at Tony at PharmacyITME.com. If you want to network, you can check out the Pharmacist Select group at PharmacistConnect.com, which is P-H-A-R-M-A-C-I-S-T-S-C-O-N-N-E-C-T.com. There's different topic channels, including informatics, and I've met some great colleagues on there. And I look forward to connecting with you as well. Thank you again for listening. And I'll see you on the next episode of Pharmacy IT and Me. And remember, technology is a tool. Patient care is the goal. Bye. Bye. Bye.